This is Tim Bryan, pastor of Lifeway Apostolic Church, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My prayer is that this message will inspire, build your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy this message. We, we enjoyed the study we had last week. And um, so we're going we're gonna to keep diving in into the subject we have. If you can throw that up there. And what is the topic over the next few weeks going to be? Ten Commandments. And but we're entitling it what? Revelations from the throne. Amen. Turn to the Exodus chapter number 20. Um, pop quiz from last week's lesson. How many places in the Bible is the Ten Commandments written? Uh-huh. We have a divided audience. How many, how many times in the Bible is it, is it mentioned? Three. Who can name the chapters in which it was Ten Commandments are written in? Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy what? And Exodus what? In Leviticus, is it written in the same order as the other two chapters? But it's, it is to be revealed in that chapter. And we talked about that last week. And um, if you're not here last week, then we're going to get you up to speed just a little bit. The reason why we're entitling this series of Revelations from the Throne is because through study, you'll find that when God addresses or speaks from the seat of the throne, there's certain things that happen. Um, and I began to do a little bit more study on that topic. And, and, but we find that there's thunderings and lightning, um, people trembling when God speaks from the seat of the throne. It doesn't mean he doesn't speak from the throne any other places. But when the throne is, uh, is spoke about, um, and we know the throne is from heaven, and, and but when he speaks in regards to the throne, uh, we find it in Revelations 4, Revelations 11, Revelations 19, Jeremiah talks about it, and Psalms talks about it. And we talked about how the, uh, the Ten Commandments are a powerful, powerful study, and they're just not ten laws, but they're decalogues, of, uh, of, of study that we need to look at in a more uh, in-depth way. We also talked about how, um, what does the word commandment mean in the Hebrew? What is the Hebrew word for commandment? Mitzvah. Mitzvah. If you put a bar in front of mitzvah, what does that mean? Son of the commandments, or son of a commandment. So, and I did a little bit more study on this, and there's a man by the name of Bartimaeus, in the New Testament, guess what his first part of that name means? Son of who? Timaeus. You guys are good. You're catching on. Uh, Bartimaeus is the son of Timaeus, his father. Um, it's actually, he's only mentioned one time in the Bible, and it's at, I believe it's in uh, Mark chapter number 10. And um, so we learn a little bit of things. The Ten Commandments are commandments. Um, the commandments are a, 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 a something that is from God. For us. Everybody say, it's for me. All right? So, um, if you want to know where it's the Ten Commandments are found in the book of Leviticus, see me after service. I'll text it or tell you. 
Um, Leviticus chapter number 19, we laid, named all the verses and found the corresponding uh, commandment for the verse in Leviticus number nine, chapter number 19. Um, so if you want to know more about that, we can, we can send that on to you. Um, something else that we talked about last week is that the children of Israel, where were the children of Israel um, uh, after, right after, or right before the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments? They were in a country called an E. All right, all right. Maybe smack yourself a little bit. Make sure we wake up here. Egypt, and um, the Lord brought them out of Egypt and brought them to a place where they needed to have some instruction. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up tonight. And um, uh, I did a little bit more study on the situation of uh, the children of Israel. Let's go to Exodus 20. I hope you've already turned there, verse number 1. And um, we're going to read this. And verse number 1 says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. Um, he establishes something right there. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that here in just a moment. But he simply says, I am the Lord your God. How many believe he is our God here tonight? Um, which have brought thee in. There is nobody else that can bring you out of bondage like God can. There's a lot of programs out there. A lot of helpful things. But only God can bring you out. Um, there's, there's a lot of help, self-help books, and a lot of leadership books, and a lot of wonderful things that we can take in, but there's nothing like the Word of God that can bring you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Um, I was on the phone last night, and maybe it was the night before, the night before, um, and uh, had a, a phone call from a person. I spent an hour on the phone with this person, and they were trying to figure out how to come to the Lord. And we began to talk about uh, the situation that they were uh, facing and how to come to the Lord and how to talk to the Lord and how to pray and how to help get out of the situation perhaps they were in. And, and I really said the only true answer is Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing else out there that can help you other than Jesus Christ. Um, I do believe that in certain scenarios it's good to have counseling or it's good to have uh, somebody to, to talk to. But if all you're doing is complaining to somebody, then that's not good counseling, right? Um, there's obviously good things to have counseling, but really and ultimately everything needs to point back to Jesus Christ. And he is he that has brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse number two, what is the house of bondage? When I say bondage, what are we talking about? Somebody holler out, what is bondage? Last participation tonight. What is something that is a bondage? Death, sin. But let's be more specific. What is a bondage? Something that holds you? Could be what? Drugs. What else? Alcohol? Oh, fear. I thought you said beer. I was like, well, alcohol. Fear. Anger. What else? 
Unfor- that's a good one. Unforgiveness. What's that? Limitations. Amen to that. Guilt. Shame. Jealousy. Addictions. Attitudes. Some people have a daily problem with getting up on the wrong side of the bed. I got a yes out of Becky. Dad, is he is dad not acting right tonight? Is that okay? That was too quick of a yes. That's all right. Attitudes, money, the love of money. There's nothing wrong with money, but there's the love of money, right? The Bible says. Our peers, the constant of measuring up. Can I just put a side note here? If you feel like you don't measure up and you feel like you're constantly battling uh, the, with the, the relationships, with, with you measuring yourself up to the world, it may be a good time for you to get off of social media, okay? You think a good fast from social media will do a lot of us good. I think social media is one of the most incredible things that was invented, but it's the most, one of the most horrible things that was invented at the same time. And um, all, all, all the washed up into one thing. That's why we've got to have a good attitude, amen, on social media. In uh, verse number three, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'll attribute this to a marriage a little bit. If you are married to somebody, you better not have somebody else before them. Somebody say amen. You, you want to destroy a message, marriage? You know, well, we don't have to go down that road. You know what I'm talking about. So the Lord had to set some things straight in Exodus chapter number 20, the first three verses. And I bear with me for a minute because we're going we're gonna to take you on a little bit of a journey to establish some things in Scripture to help us gear up for the very first commandment tonight. We find that and while the children of Israel were in Egypt, I began to think about, of course, the situation, how they got there, but also did some little bit of studying of who Egypt was. Who are the Egyptians? Um, so I go back to the time of Noah, right? That's a good place to start. We know that after the flood, Noah and his family were the only ones that... Uh, uh, were alive after the flood, so there was no reason to go before that point. We just went back to Noah, and, and Noah had three sons. Can somebody name those sons? All right. And we find that if you look at, and study just a little bit, it starts in Genesis chapter number 10, but we find that Ham was one of the descendants that his family went to Canaan, but also started to flood the region of uh, and going into the country of, uh, of Egypt, if you will. They also went to Sodom and Gomorrah area, um, what we know today. And uh, we, we find that all these, these, these countries, if you will, or these people begin to um, flood this area. Um, but after doing a little bit more, more history on this, and beginning to understand a little bit more about this area. Let me try to find my notes from this. Um, 
we find that you get the descendants all the way from Ham all the way down to a man named Abraham. And you go through some scripture just a little bit into the book of Genesis, and you get to, to Abraham. And Abraham was a, was a man that uh, obviously loved the Lord, um, but then he found himself uh, married to his wife, and we, we find and we know the story how Abraham was, um, was a man after God, but they couldn't bear children, right? Um, his wife, Abraham's wife, was named what? Sarah. Sarah and Abraham could not bear children. So what did Sarah do? She, she tried to want to help God along. That's a very dangerous place when you help God, right? When you think you, you know God's intentions, we try to help God. And we find that Sarah gave a woman to Abraham by the name of Hagar. Hagar, and she had a son from Abraham whose name was Ishmael. Ishmael was a, uh, a man that was a representation that God had departed. Somebody say, God had departed. God had departed. And all my notes did not sync with my iPad, so we're just going to have to go off memory, the old noggin here right now. Had some good stuff written down, and um, it must not have saved. But anyway, um, so we find that Hagar was, does anybody know what, where she come from? Egypt. She was an Egyptian. Um, she was an Egyptian lady. And she was a, a handmaid unto Sarah. Now some history states that uh, Hagar was granted to Abraham and to Sarah's house was either a gift to, to them or a slave unto them. But the Bible says she was a handmaid unto Sarah. And we find that Hagar and, and Abraham uh, had a child named Ishmael. Now, something very interesting, and I began to do a little bit more research on Ishmael. And obviously, many of us probably know this already, but Ishmael um, is a, a revered figure in the Islam um, uh, teachings. Um, he is uh, revered as a person of great prominence. In fact, they actually revere Hagar as well as, a, as somebody to be um, uh, looked up to. And in that, in that uh, mindset, if you will, comes the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites, in fact, the word Islam and the word Ishmael are part of the same root word. And out of that comes a, a religion, if you will, that we won't really get into tonight. But what we see here today, we find there is a contrast of characters, if you will, when it comes to knowing Jesus and the lineage of Jesus and the lineage of Ishmael. There was a wide, um, how can you say, there is just a different directions that begin to happen when it comes from the life of Ishmael, and the life of Isaac. We find that Ishmael was birthed from an Egyptian. Birthed from an Egyptian. So we find that Abraham begins to go back to uh, Egypt. And he comes and he goes. And we find that through history, um, Ishmael was birthed from that. And then out of the Ishmaelites come some of the Egyptian people. I'm not saying all of them, but some of the Egyptian people people. So we find ourselves in Exodus, and we find ourselves with the children of Israel in a place of 
false doctrine, false gods. And I begin to do some more research on the country or the, the status or the culture of the Egyptians uh, in that day and time. And I find that in that time, they had over 2,000 gods. Everybody say 2,000. 2,000 gods the Egyptians had, but they only, they worshipped just about anything. Um, but there were 10 gods that they began to worship more than anybody, anything else. The first one is Emera, which is called the hidden one. The second one was Mut, M-U-T, the mother goddess. This means, means the mother, means mother in Egyptian. It's a primal deity of who wears two crowns on her head, and each representing the upper and lower Egypt. She who gives birth was one of the things that, uh, uh, but she was herself not born of any, but she was the one who gives birth. But she was not born of any. The third king, or the third um, god that they worshiped was the king of living. It's Orsus. Orsus gets his name. And the next one is Anubis, the divine embalmer. So if you died, you have a goddess or a god that helps you be embalmed. Then they had the god of the sun and radiance, named Ra. Then they had the god of vengeance. It would be nice to have a god just dedicated to vengeance. They had a god of knowledge and wisdom, named Thoth. Then they had a goddess of motherhood, Hathor. And then they had a goddess Sekhmet, which is the goddess of war and healing. Interesting. And then the tenth god, one of the ones that they had worshipped the most was the god of earth. The father of snakes. Described as. He represented also crops and healing. With a goose on his head. This bearded god was believed to have caused earthquakes whenever he laughed. He was the son of Shu, the god of air, the goddess of moisture, Tefnut. All these gods that they began to have, and no doubt over the 600 years that the children of Israel that were in Egypt, they began to see these other gods. They began to be familiar with these gods. They knew what Egypt worshipped. They knew, in fact, that what they had been around all these years didn't seem right, but yet they were in the midst of the things that they are they were in the midst of Egypt and they part of the culture and, and I'm here to tell you tonight that we are we believe that there is only one God somebody say amen Jesus is his name but we walk in this earth around people who serve a lot of gods and if I can be so bold to say some worship their job some worship perhaps their their time away and Talked to somebody before, and they were excited to tell me they take six to eight vacations a year. He worked hard just so he can go on vacation. And I'm thinking, God bless you for going on that many vacations. Now, I'm not saying he worshipped his vacations, but it sounded pretty close to be, you know, work to, to go on vacation. And, um, and we, can, we can worship a lot of things. We can worship ourselves. Somebody say Amen. We worship the things that we put priority on. So when God simply says, I am the Lord your God, he was combating the very things that had been attacking their thoughts, the 
things that they had to live with, the things, the surroundings. He was establishing something. There is not 2,000 gods. There is one God. He said, now I'm the Lord that brought you out. Find that the, um, the, the plagues that the Lord and Moses wrought on Egypt, if you look at those plagues, each one of those plagues were another God that the Lord began to tear down. He began to tear down Egypt's idols, began to tear down their thoughts, began to tear down every single thing that they thought was going to be greater than the God of Moses. They, uh, everything that they, they had hoped to distress or everything that they hoped that, uh, that, that they thought was greater than Moses' God, Moses began to, to, to put them in their place, began to tell them that his God was greater than theirs. So when we find, we get to the very first opportunity that the Lord begins to speak to his people, he had to establish something very clearly and very succinctly and very plain in a short few words saying, I am the Lord, your God. That's very important to understand before we go any further in this Bible study. We have to understand that he is the one true God. He is the creator of all things. You don't need a God for this and a God for that and a God here and a God there. Everything that I need comes through Jesus Christ. Everything that I want comes through the name of Jesus Christ. Said a few moments ago, the only thing that's going to bring you out of the attitude, the only thing that's going to bring you out of that land of bondage or that house of bondage is Jesus Christ. Everybody say amen. There is no God of vengeance. There is no God, the divine embalmer. There is no other righteous one save Jesus Christ. We find that Throughout Scripture, and I've said this, and I think I preached on this a few weeks ago, that throughout Scripture, we can find time and time again, the Lord simply says, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. He repeats that time and time and time again, because all he desires is to have a relationship with you. I begin to contemplate why the Lord uh, begins to establish uh, his, his, his throne and begins to establish, if you will, the, that relationship and why he wants to pronounce that he is God is because there's a lot of things that will try to convince us otherwise. There's a lot of people that will say that there's three, but there's not. There's only one. You know, let alone 2,000. But there is a community of believers that believe that there is three gods. And I was talking to another pastor on the phone today, and he and I agree that most Trinitarians actually believe in one God. If you talk, if you talk to them, they, they really are describing that there is one God. And there are ones that believe that there are three. But when you listen to them, you're, I, I, I did a Bible study with a man many years ago. and I, His name was uh, 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 Delvin, I think was his name. And... Um, and I sat across the table with him. I said, explain to me the Trinitarian belief. I said, I want you to try to explain it to me so I can learn. And he began to quote scripture and, and everything. And, and then he, I said, I said you're, you're preaching oneness. He said, no, I'm not. 
And I said, you are using the same scripture that I would describe as that there is one God. I said, when you get to heaven, who's going to be on the throne? How many? He said, one. I said, well, there you go. When you pray, which God do you pray to? He said, well, there's only one God I pray to. Well, I said, well, there you go. I said, here through your theology, you are confused in your theology. But there is only one God. And I think if before anything else in our life that we have to understand tonight that it is only God and Jesus is his name. Somebody say amen. In the ancient Egypt, gods and goddesses were the depiction of all the fundamental necessities required for sustaining life. They were required, though that was the one thing that every part of life, no matter where you are as a child, as a mother, if you were a farmer, if you were a herder, if you were a fisherman, each person, each thing had its own God, had its own way to pray, has its own, uh, you were at every part of life, there was a fundamental necessity to, to, to require of that certain God to help sustain your life. I'm so thankful that I don't have to memorize 2,000 gods for, to sustain me and to help me. Many cults developed and many associations were made because of the interconnection between these life requirements. Let me tell you something. What this world will do to you, it will confuse the fire out of you. The world will confuse you. It will cause you to, to get so intertwined that you don't, can't tell what's up and what's down. The Bible says in Exodus 20, chapter, chapter 20, verse number 5, and if I can kind of go on just a little bit just to kind of use a, uh, uh, another scripture here, in verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, and I know we're kind of talking about number two here, but I just want to take a, a snippet of this verse. It says, for I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. They say he's jealous. God does not like it when you are serving another God. He does not like it when you put something else before him. When we put something else before him, we say it's my will, Lord, not yours. I preach a lot of the Lord's prayer. I preach a lot out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but it helps to remind me where it all starts, and where it starts is where it's going to end, because the Bible says he is both Alpha and Omega, and he is everything in between. Amen. Let's go on here. Man, let's go to Deuteronomy and see how Deuteronomy starts. Deuteronomy chapter number 5. We read this a little bit last week, but as a nice refresher, I'll just speak of it again. God says to Moses in verse number 1, chapter number 5, Moses called all to Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments what I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. Can you repeat that last part with me? You may learn them, keep them, and do them. 
The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Harab. And the Lord made not this covenant with, your, with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive this day. And the Lord talked with you face to face in the mount of the midst of the fire. And I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount, saying, verse number 6, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. For thou shalt have no other gods before me. When God begins to repeat himself in Scripture, I'm glad his words do not change. He is not confused about who he is. I said, he's not confused about who he is, and neither should we. Go back to Exodus chapter number 20. I'll give you a picture of a little bit more about where we are in our setting in Scripture. Pop quiz for you. How many times did Moses go up Mount Sinai? Somebody said multiple, and you're right. Anybody? I hear some numbers out there. Eight times. Somebody say eight. Eight times. It goes all the way. I'm trying to look. Exodus chapter number. It goes up on the seventh time on Exodus 32. Goes up Exodus 34. And he does come down. He comes down on the eighth time. Exodus 34 verse number 29. How many knew that he went up and down that mountain that many times? Now, what time, and this may not make, a, make a, you say, Pastor, this is kind of meaningless things that uh, may be in Scripture, but I don't think anything in Scripture is meaningless. The third time he went up that mountain is when God gave him the first set of the Ten Commandments. Everybody say the third time. The third time he went up, God gave that Scripture to him. Um, this did start the, the beginning in first chapter number 19 of Exodus. It starts the eight trips up Mount Sinai. And I want to read a couple of the scriptures here to kind of set the stage for the third time, if you will. So Exodus 19, um, let's start at verse number one just for the sake of uh, more scripture here to, to kind of give us some more of a, 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 a picture. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, everybody say the third month. That's a long walk. The land of Egypt, in the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, and they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, the Lord called him out, called him, called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. I love that. He says, I brought you out for one specific thing, to bring you unto myself. I wanted to get you, to bring you to me. I, I wanted to get you out of bondage so you could be close to me, and that's really what the Lord wants to do. We talked about that a few moments ago, but the Lord really wants to bring you out of bondage for his glory, but so you can get close to him. Amen? Verse number five, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, 
then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. On a side note here real quick, I was doing some studying, and, and I, I began to realize, you know what the greatest inheritance, you know God's going to have an inheritance too? You know what God's inheritance is? It's us. When we go to heaven, that's the great, his inheritance. It's to be one with us once again. It's for his glory. It's for his purpose that he wants to draw us close to him, to be brought unto himself so that he can, uh, to, he can commune with us. But when God comes back for his church and God comes back for us, it is his great inheritance to spend more time with you in heavenly places. That ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders. Obviously, he went down the mountain right there, verse number 7. And Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all their faces these words which the Lord commanded them. Uh, commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Isn't that a great response when God speaks? Is that the response that we need to have when God speaks something into existence or speaks to us? That we are going to be a peculiar people, a holy nation, a people that are set apart for him. We need to accept God's proposal. I said we need to accept God's proposal. God wants to get close to you. God wants to have a covenant relationship. And I, that was the proposal from God to say, hey, y'all, I want to be your God. And I want to make you a holy nation. I, I want to have all this, relation, this relationship with you, with you. And all the people in the, uh, in, in the kingdom, all the people in this world will, will respect you because you are my children. They will, they will have to honor you. They will have to, 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 to uh, understand there's something different about you. So we got to understand that God wants us to accept his proposal. And all the people answered together, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord, um, Moses went back up the mountain. Everybody say he went up. He went back up the mountain here and he said into the, it's about a two-day journey. So we're missing the, you know, Heavy breathing by Moses right here, trying to get up that mountain. The Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Now, at first glance, that's a lot of walking for a short conversation. Now, that's just me, a man of exercise and fitness today. I stand before you and say, I, I'm not a man of exercise and fitness. But what I'm saying, that's a long walk for a short conversation. But great things come from great sacrifice. Amen. Then thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye not go up into the mount which touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned and shot through. That sounds like that would hurt. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up 
to the mountain. mountain. Then Moses goes down, and Moses went down from the mountain unto the people and sanctified the people. They washed their clothes, and he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come that come not at your wives. So we find that the Lord descends and he goes down. He comes up on verse number 30. He goes back up and comes down um, unto the people on the third time. And Moses, verse number 25, and then Moses went down unto the people and spake to the Lord. So the first day he went up there, the Lord sets a, 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 a proposal before the people. The very first thing, he said, will you accept me as God? Will you, will you heed to my commands? I, I promise that I will be this and that to you. I promise that I will keep my covenant with you. I, I promise I will be there for you. I, I promise that I, you will be a great treasure above all the people. Will you obey the voice of, uh, uh, will you obey my voice? And the people said, yes. So I'm asking tonight, will you obey the voice of God? Would you accept the proposal of the Lord unto your life because if you don't there's no reason to go back up that mountain again if you don't accept the proposal of the Lord there's no reason for a third prayer going up to the mountain there's no reason to really you might as well you might as well just go ahead and leave now and say you know what pastor I'm done I'm good I do not accept the Lord's proposal and I don't want to live for him you know, really, I had, had somebody I talked to, and, and uh, they, they said that they wondered why they were even coming to church. They really wondered why am I doing this for the wrong reasons? Am I doing it for this or doing it for that? And, and, I, and they, they, they felt so blessed, and they felt like that they were coming to church as, as because they want to reward God for the blessings they had. I'm here to tell you today, we're not rewarding God for the blessings that we have attained. We come and worship the Lord because he's God, and he deserves the glory. Can I, can, I be, can I just say something else as a side note? I'm just doing a good, I'm just trying to pastor here. And when it comes to service, and I alluded to it at, at the beginning, when it comes to church service, the first part of service is for the glory of God. We worship the Lord, right? We come to give him praise and give him honor. That is our giving to the Lord. Somebody say Amen. That's us giving to God, worshiping Him. But we come in late on the part that we want to give. We need to give ourselves to God. And then when it comes time for us to receive, then maybe our hearts are not prepared to receive. So we are shortchanging God not, and, and not shortchanging ourselves. Can I just, I, don't, I just, it feels a little bit selfish when we say, I'm going to shortchange God, but I'll be here for what I need. I'll be here for the word, but I won't be here for worship. It's kind of a selfish attitude to think that at least I'm here for the word. But God says, well, what about worshiping me? What about praising me? What about calling upon my name? That's just a side note. I don't know if if that made sense. I hope it did. I didn't even get an amen. But that's okay. I don't need one. So it leads up the third time down back to Exodus chapter number 20. Pastor, you said an awful lot just to say a few words about Exodus 20. And that is to, when the Lord brings you out of Egypt, he's got to set some things straight. I said he's got to set some things straight. 
say it again. He needs to set some things straight. It's very, it's, and I, I think we take it, this whole thing for granted sometimes. But do we really understand what it means to serve him and nothing else? I, I look at this as a, a life that we live here today and that we are stewards of our life. The house that I live in, I'm not going to be there forever. I'm a steward of that home. It's important for me to take care of that home. The cars that we drive, I'm just a good steward of that car. It's good to change the oil. I want to be a good steward of that. So when it passes, either my car passes on or it passes on to somebody, whichever happens first, I want to be a good steward of that vehicle. So everything that I have, the life that I have, the the breath that I breathe, I want to be a good steward of this life. I want to be a good steward of this life that God has given unto me. In other words, the first thing I need to do is make sure that I serve God and nothing else. Everything that I have, it all belongs to the Lord anyway. Talk about tithe and offering. Talk about how we are just stewards of the money that we have. The things that we have, the goods that we have, the things in our home. We are, it really all belongs to the Lord. So if God says, uh, uh, I need that, then we can give it because we know it's God's anyway. But how selfish we are when, and when, when, when somebody says, hey, uh, can, I, can I use this or can I, nope, that's mine. Mine. Uh, an old minister, um, we did a study on giving and tithing. And, and um, uh, many of us need to grow out of this. This word is called mine. Paul is going to be very good at that in a few years. He's going to say, mine. I remember when uh, Ellie and Evan were young, and Evan not so much with him, but Ellie, every time that we would walk as a family, my wife and I would hold hands, and little Ellie would get in between us, and we were not allowed to hold hands because she was like, no, that hand's mine. Sooner or later, we have to get out of that mindset, that selfish mindset. I said, Lord, this is not my life. It's your life. It's not my, my money. It's your money. It's not my things. This is, this is, these are your things. So let's go back to Exodus 20 again. Let's read this one more time, and I'll be coming to a close. Exodus chapter number 1, or chapter number 20, verse number 1. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we'll get into this. I, I, I feel like I need to get into this a little bit more, just number one um, uh, commandment, if you will. And we'll get that. We'll dive into that more, what that looks like throughout the New Testament. And then we'll jump into the second commandment in verse number four. But I, I, I think that, I don't want to get into next week's lesson here too much. But I do know and have to understand here today that I am grateful that the Lord brought me out of the house of bondage. Thankful that he did that. And it was he that did that. There are many in this room that God has brought you out of uh, many horrible things that this world has brought us, uh, has, has taken us through. But it was only God that we surrendered to that allowed us to bring us out. Egypt is a place, and this world is a place that has many gods. This world that we live in has a lot of, a lot of memorials. But we need to start setting up more memorials for the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving testimonies of what he has done. 
thanking God for what he has done in our life. And I'll end with this, with that in mind. There are many people that set up many memorials for things in this world. And I I have been one of those people that used to, um, I'm surprised that my father did not, um, and mom did not rebuke me when I had 20 posters of Michael Jordan on the wall. Had the life-size version of Michael Jordan on my door. I thought if I just grew as tall as he was, I could play like he was. I stuck my tongue out like he did when he drove to the hoop. I shot shots like him. I never made them, but I tried to shoot shots like him. I tried to act like him. I tried to bounce the ball like him. I tried to to imitate him. I, I tried to talk trash like him. I, I, didn't, I didn't shave my head like him, but I, I, I tried to do everything I could to dunk like him, which I could only dunk a donut like him, but not like he could. And I tried to imitate him. And it became very apparent that he was the one focused. I, I did speeches in high school about him. I did persuasive speeches, and I did informative speeches. And I, I, I wanted to let everybody know I had his jerseys. I had his 23 and his 45. I, I had all these jerseys. I had all these things. But in retrospect, how foolish I was to think that I could even measure up to a man that wasn't going to give me anything in return. Michael Jordan never wrote me a paycheck, but I paid something for him buying all those things that I, that, I, uh, that I had purchased for him. All those things, all this world will do, it will take, take, take from you. You have idols and things in this world, they will, they will glean from you, they will harvest from you, if you will, and it will take you down a road of false a uh, sense of false identity. But the only thing that will give you any kind of self-worth, any kind of joy, any kind of peace, and that is Jesus Christ. That is the only saving name. So if there's anybody that you need to measure yourself up to, and that is Jesus Christ. Can I say this here tonight, that we are not a church, we are not a religion. We're not a church defined by organization. Well, Pastor, we're you're not a Pentecostal church. That does not define us. Laws in a book or, or things in a, in a manual that I, had, I adhere to as a minister in the, in the United Pentecostal Church International, I, 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 I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful for being a, having accountability as a minister. But at the same time, I am not defined by that. The only thing that we should measure up to is Jesus Christ and his word. Somebody say Amen. There is nothing else. There is, should be no other gods before us, no other identities before him. You can stand together with me right now. Going long enough. The view of Egypt, the view of accepting God's proposal when God brings us out. Many of us, Thank and we'll celebrate the Lord for bringing us out of bondage. But how quickly we get fickle when the first hardship comes our way. First time that that bondage rears its ugly head again, we're ready to fold. Bondage showed up on their heels when they began to, uh, the first obstacle of the Red Sea. That bondage that passed. 
that familiarity, it's so easy to go right back to the junk that we came out of. You have helped at sheltering wings at all if you went through the orientation of the women's shelter that we minister to on, on Sundays. They say the average lady goes back to her abuser, and some of y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, will go back to her abuser seven times. Seven times. And that's the way it is spiritually sometimes. People will come to the house of God, they'll feel the presence of God, but then things are starting to change, so they want to go back to what's comfortable to them, their identity, and they'll fall right back into that place. But that's where the body of Christ needs to come in and surround them with love and care and say, you can do this because I have. That's where a testimony comes in. That's where living for the Lord comes in. That's where we grab somebody by the hand and say, you don't have to go back to that junk. We're here because Jesus Christ brought us out, and there is only one Lord, and there is no other God that brought you out. It is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. I won't get into any further here tonight because I want to save what we have for next week. But next week we're going to finish up, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We're going to be getting into the New Testament, going through maybe the book of Isaiah, and then we'll jump into the, um, the uh, commandment number two, which thou shalt not make. Somebody say make. Somebody say make. Make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. If you would like to know more information about our church, please check us out on Facebook at Lifeway Apostolic Church. May God richly bless you.